for me, it's been a home run in two ways, on the racetrack and also building our brand here in Australia in our business. We finished first or second every year since 05, um, which was... Uh, I knew it was fast before, and I proved it very it's, it's motor racing, you know, you can't really just look at the last race of the year. You have to look at, uh, it starts at Adelaide and it ends at Newcastle. But... From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock, and it's uh, a post-Hidden Valley hello to Craig. Yes, Tony, what a busy, busy time it has been for the teams. Some of the teams, of course, not even going back to their home base down there in Victoria, and David Reynolds' car has been stationed in Mount Isa for the last week or so, and it will be heading over to Townsville for the following weekend's racing and Townsville really embracing their what is it 10th year of racing of course 11th event if that makes sense to you yep um but yes, yes uh, unlike indeed, uh, unlike your birth you don't have a zero year on the first year that it happens indeed and while David's car and uh, Anton's car will be resting up in uh, Mount Isa at the Holden dealer there uh, David has in fact taken himself off to Bali for a bit of a break and unfortunately picked up a Luger. I had hoped to have him on the show this week, but uh, not to be, but we'll certainly speak to him pre-Townsville. Yep. But this week's show, a um, bit of news breaking. Um, uh, we'll talk on the, the good side first. Tail and Brent Bend, uh, the brand new track in South Australia. Uh, today he was having their FIA inspection and the final sign-off by CAM, so that's terrific news along with the fact that uh, the uh, Shahin family, who own the on-the-run BP service station um, franchise across South Australia, which is 135 service stations, and that's what funds the building of Talem Bend, they're going to be the sponsor of the event there. So that's terrific news because it keeps their uh, name bright and shiny uh, over the event. Two new wildcard uh, entries will be coming up for uh, for Tail and Ben, so there'll be 28 cars there. Macaulay, of course, will be one of them. He's already run up in town in uh, Darwin, and uh, he'll be joining in uh, the fourth BJR ZB again. While the other one is the Kostecki uh, Brothers Racing, and they've been running three cars for the year in the uh, development series in two, and it'll be the second event for Kurt Kostecki. He'll be running in a VF. So that's uh, happening at the uh, Tail and Bend track in, uh, towards the end of August. News that broke this week um, was a rather unfortunate one about Albans. Um, the news was broken by Mark Fogarty in Auto Action that uh, the uh, English extract brand may have the uh, job of being the supplier of the control transaxle uh, for 2019 and beyond. Anyway, we'll uh, talk about that later. So this week's show, we've got uh, Shane Van Gisbergen uh, on the show this week. Um, he had a, a rather uh, sad end to his very strong run in shootouts, an extraordinary run. He has been in 35 consecutive top 10 shootouts, starting back in 2016, I think it would have been. And uh, he didn't make it uh, in Hidden Valley, missed out by any uh, fraction. But he's talking on today's show. So uh, we'll hear after the break from Shane Van Gisbergen. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're with Shane Van Gisbergen, the 2016 champion, and currently sitting second on the points in the 2018 Supercars Championship. Shane, welcome on board. How you going? All fine with me, mate. Look, just wanted to talk about, I mean, there was a, a recent story out, Roland uh, not very happy with qualifying. I'm sure he uh, is one of very few, one of very many who sit at the table, Triple Eight, uh, not happy with qualifying. Any particular problem that you can highlight with the cars? Uh, we knew what we were doing, we'd, we'd be up there, but uh, it's, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's all good. Um, our race tank is, is even more galling the fact that you know the cars rolled out at Adelaide you had a, 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 a weekend I don't even know what that word means <laughs> <laughs> you know the ZB appeared to be you know oh it's going to be dominant this year well obviously it hasn't been you know Scotty is hauling those Falcons up there and he's the only one who's doing that of course is there something intrinsic in the car do you think that you know is it the front end the back end is it the balance uh, well it's sort of like the same from last year you know um Shane, in that you don't have to win a race to enjoy it. You're still obviously enjoying racing for Triple Eight. Yep, yep. Has it hurt you at all, do you think, in your racing that you're not doing as much overseas uh, driving? Uh, no, because I'm still driving uh, a, lot of, a lot of cars, just not overseas. Right, okay. Um, so you've, you've done two or three or maybe more um, GTs, uh, races in both Mercedes and McLarens. And you've got more of that coming up? Uh, yeah, And you've been back to New Zealand a few times, um, staying with your parents, obviously, in Auckland. Have you been doing much driving over there? Um, yeah, I've been trying to do fun stuff and listening and, and, you know, it's a bit hard to racing thing over there, but, um, yeah, track days and stuff like that, so always, um, yeah, always done something. All right. Now, um, the next event, Townsville, is that a track that you particularly like? Or Yeah, yeah. I know where there's a track and there's a car and you're, you're reasonably competitive. I know you're happy to be there. Um, Scotty seems to be driving extremely well. I mean, he would be the only one who's really placing the Falcon up there on a regular basis. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, um, he's, he's 
That, that old thing though, isn't it? That fortune favours the brave and that uh, things are mostly coming off for Scotty. I mean, the fact that, you know, he had that engine problem up there but still got home on the podium. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and what is your next uh, next time out in the, in the uh, non-supercar? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Darwin and stuff. Yeah, got jumping in a couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, we had some testing the other weeks before Darwin. So, we're not going to for the town so, yeah. All right, Shane, I imagine you'd be looking forward to things like uh, Tail and Bend in your car. You'd almost get the impression of that track that it'll be an advantage having been there before. Oh, not really. I think any any of the drivers in our category are more than capable. Yeah, you should be should be the number one five lap right to be on it. Are you and Jamie and Craig finding that the same sort of things that aren't pleasing about the ZB at the moment in terms of qualifying speed? Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Shane Van Gisbergen. I look forward to catching up with you uh, maybe at uh, Eastern Creek in uh, August. Thanks, mate. After the break, we'll be talking with Nathan Prendergast, the head of general manager of uh, Supercars Media, Television and other events. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're joined this week with Craig Revelle Tony Whitlock by Nathan Prendergast, the General Manager of Supercars Media, covering television and content. Welcome on board, Nathan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're going to take you back and start, because it's a fairly long story, uh, yours, uh, in motorsport. It's... It's got very many twists and turns, which we'd love you to uh, spell out to our listeners. Um, so, when you you come from Western Australia, I understand. Yes, that's right. Um, born and raised in Perth, um, and grew up with drag racing. So, family had a share in a drag racing facility, Perth called Ravenswood Raceway, and uh, spent my early years running around the pits uh, of uh, of Ravenswood and went to my first drag racing event when I was three days old. <laughs> Well, that predates most of us. Anyway, um, so uh, so from obviously family connections, you're closely involved, and you learnt the business from being inside it. Yeah, that's right. So, so Dad not only had a share in the facility, he ran it and was fairly well known uh, in the country as being a pretty good organizer as a manager of motorsports. So, your your father's first name? Kevin Prendergast. Kevin. Oh, I know Kevin. Yeah. Oh. I've, I've never connected the dots. Oh, right. Okay, of course. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't connect the dots. But, yeah, so Kevin Prendergast is my dad. Right. Okay. And as you know, he's he's gone on to run Phillip Island, Eastern yes. Calpo, Perth Motorplex for 13 years, and now is the general manager of 400 Thunder. 
Yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so um, you came across from Western Australia and you were based at what was Eastern Creek then? Correct. So, yeah, so uh, originally Dad was brought over to be the um, drag racing manager, which quickly became the general manager of the circuit. Uh, and we lived at the circuit on a property at the back um, where the, the go-kart facility is now, basically. So um, about 18 months on the circuit, and I used to come home from school, drop my bags, walk through the paddocks and... And uh, in those days, there was an incredible amount of motorsport, um, high-level international motorsport testing, MotoGP bikes, Group C cars, Toyota had um, some cars there, and just you name it, it was uh, it was a good time. What year, roughly? 91, middle of 91, I moved over. Um, so the venue, I think, got finished uh, in 90, uh, and we were there. Uh, Dad came a few months ahead of us, but I moved in the middle of 1991. So, um, and your first involvement then with supercars? Um, well, I, supercars was always, to me, um, the pinnacle of motorsport in this country. I, I um, followed it and watched it. However, my television path took me a totally different direction. So out of my time at Eastern Creek, I got to be involved in a lot of drag racing, which got me involved in so-called Speed Week, at which I was a commentator on and then became worked for, for AVE, which which makes um, the program, and I was there 10 years. And whilst I was there, I got to learn a lot about making television um, from commentary, producing, directing, but mainly editing. Um, and But the whole time I was there, the number one motorsport product in town was, was and still is, supercars. So it was always something I wanted to do, and um, through a an association that AVE had with Redmax, which was Murray Lomax's company at the time. And Murray yep. Lomax, for those that remember, was the executive producer of Supercars. A good friend of mine, yep. Yep, got to know Murray and got to know um, a couple of those guys quite closely. And the opportunity came up to potentially do some freelance work for them as an editor. But I was full-time, so it was a big, big decision to make. And I'd been there for... It was three months shy of 10 years at, at Speedweek. And uh, anyway, I rolled the dice and decided to start my own business and and uh, do some freelance work for Redmax. And, um, yeah, I, I, I got involved in it from there. Now, that was Ignition, which you still have that company, don't you? Correct, Ignition Production. So I started that in, in 2005, and it was quite a quite a funny story if you've got time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um I, uh, I remember resigning from AVE and uh, one of the camera guys that I'd worked with for a long time at the company called me and said to me, um, what have they promised you? Why, why, would you? why would you leave? You know, you're doing so well here. And I said, look, motorsport's my background. It's what I know and love. This is the next step. Murray's the executive producer of supercars. Potentially there's a chance I could get some work at a supercar event. And Paul said to me, what do you think you'll ever do for supercars? And I said, well, I don't know. I like to edit it, edit, but I do love directing. Maybe I could direct a support race one day. And his words were, quote, unquote, as if you'll ever direct the V8 supercars, there's a million people in line in front of you. And uh, 18 months later, I was directing supercars. And, of course, interestingly enough, AVE was a post-produced show. So it's a very different skill set, isn't it, to doing – the amount of, you know, just even a small part, even a support race live, it's the pressure is completely it, it different is. and the responsibility is completely different. 
it is. I mean, AVE and, and I'm, you know, Greg Cedar and I, who owns AVE, we're, we're um, good mates um, to this day. It's a good proving ground. Like they give you the opportunity to do um, just about whatever you want if you've got the the drive and, and you put your hand up and try it. So whilst it's not high end live television, you basically sink or swim there. He, Greg goes, sure, have a go. And we did do a lot of. Um, directing and coverage of motorsport, certainly not live, but we still had small OB trucks and cameras. And in a sense, it's harder in that universe because you're not supported by the technology of a large-scale, big-dollar OB. So you have to learn how to set cameras up. You have to direct the camera guys appropriately because they don't have return vision or telelights. So, you know, it, it, it actually taught me all the key stuff I needed to know. Um, and then when I... You know, got the opportunity at supercars. Um, whilst it's certainly not easy, it's never ever easy doing live television. I, I think I had a pretty solid platform to go from there. So, what's been the ladder moving up through supercars media to now become general manager? Well, I, I was um, I was the pit producer at first. So, um, uh, when Channel Seven took the rights over in two thousand and seven, I was offered the role of pit producer, sitting alongside. Um, the then line producer Simon Fordham and and I had a lot of motorsport knowledge Simon had a lot of television knowledge and I remember our first day at Adelaide we sat next to next to each other in the back of the truck and he looked at me and he said he said you tell me what all the stuff I need to know about cars and I'll tell you all the stuff I need to know about TV and um, so I did I did that for a couple of years and uh, and then in the end of 2008 um, I was offered the full-time director role. I did do some directing in the early days. Bathurst was split in half with, with two OB trucks. So essentially there's a director that directs the bottom half of the mountain and puts all the RF cameras, the helicopter, the graphics and so forth in. And then there was a director that just did from the cutting to halfway down Conrod. And that was my role in 2007, 2008. And uh, anyway, end of 2008, I was offered the role as the full-time director and grabbed it with both hands and, and loved it and did that for uh, right up until the end of last year. Simon Fordham moves on from the role you're in now and they go, yep. Nathan, we want you to step up. Did you have any hesitation at all in 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 taking that role? Oh, 100%. I didn't want it. So I, I when, it, when Simon came to me and said, I'm, I'm moving on, it was never, ever on my mind to take his role. I loved directing so much. I think I did a good job of it. I still think I was a good director without sounding like a, you know, arrogant. But I loved, absolutely had a passion for directing and still do. So it never crossed my mind that I wanted to take that role. So we started the process of, of looking around and, and seeing what was available. And Simon had done such a brilliant job uh, in his couple of years there, um, you know, taking over from Scott Young, who also did another great job that everything was was so good and the crew was so happy and everything was going so well that um, people started to tell me, you should do this, you should do this, and I was not at all interested. But in the end, it came down to, well, I'd rather take this and continue and make sure that it's looked after and also looked at myself a little bit from personal development. It's not often you get given an opportunity that you know intimately and inside and out and even though I was just a contractor and still had ignition running, I was pretty close to Simon on the way that 
you know, the broadcast was put together and he was, you know, made me privy to a lot of things. And as director, you have, you know, a fair bit of insight into the way it was run. So I eventually just looked at my myself and said, Nathan, give it a go. And uh, I love it. It's really good. Now, you've got two signature blocks that I've noticed. You've got general manager of Supercars Media, but you also have the uh, title, and I think this is the former one, general manager of television and content. Could you explain yep. what that role is? Can you? Because when I hear content, I'm going online, I'm going, you know, radio, television, uh, obviously, which is part of the title. But then there's all those, you know, production pieces. And how far do you, does your range spread in what you cover? It's pretty much anything that's a moving picture. So um, whilst there is a digital department, we still make content for, for them. Um, so it, it eventually it, it encompasses everything that's under the rights agreement of our rights holders, so Fox Sports and Channel Ten. Uh, anything that I have to manage that falls under the things that they own and that we look after. Um, Supercars, Supercars is in an unusual position, and I think a very um, good position in the sense that we are one of the few sports, Tennis Australia being another one, which has recently come on board, that manages and, and produces its own content. So unlike other sports where you buy the rights and the network will make the content, we, since 2007, have made our own content and provided it to the network. We literally are the ones that book the OB trucks, book the crew, make the show and and under the guidance of the rights holders and in conjunction with the rights holders, we we make the product. Um, And so that's essentially what I manage and look after. So it's anything from, you know, our amazing core staff in the office to, you know, to smaller events in in Perth where there might only be 60 to 70 people up to Bathurst where there's 350 people and all of the hours of television that happen live and post-produced around that. What's been the biggest challenge then in taking the top job? Um, the biggest challenge is... Uh, it's sort of been a personal one in the sense that I've had to learn to let go of the actual hands-on. As director, you are the guy that controls every frame that goes out in front of the truck. I've had to learn how to step back and look bigger picture and go, okay, I'm not in a position to call the next camera, but what I am in a position is to be more strategic and look, is this where the right direction of the storytelling is going? So it's been a challenge for me in the, in, you know, in the first couple of rounds to learn how to step back, not micromanage um, the director who's doing a brilliant job, by the way, like Brian Forshaw, and just be able to take more of a helicopter view of the coverage. And, um, yeah. One of the things that I think a lot of Australians viewers aren't aware of is how good a job you guys do and I'm not saying that to be uh, sycophantic to you I just recently was watching some stuff on Speed Week, stuff that's produced for British Touring Car Championships and other series and it's the simplest things, I mean in our series when you look at results or you look at the race through progress, you know exactly what sort of car they're in rather than you know when I was watching the British Touring Cars and I didn't know what brand because I didn't know the sponsor, or it just seems amazing to me how badly some people do television. Look, I think we're very lucky, and we have been at Supercars for a number of years, where the core people, the core drivers behind the coverage are motorsport people. Yep. So we have some 
brilliant minds like Neil Crompton who have been at the forefront of this coverage and you know previous coverages who have a say, who get listened to, and, and Neil's my go-to guy, along with a whole host of other people, Scapey. If you think about it, you look at the, the people that present the sport and then you go a level back, they're all people that are motorsport people. Our senior cameraman, Ian O'Brien, Olympic gold medalist, has been to every Bathurst since 1972. He's literally 72 years old, and yet he is a diehard motorsport fan. Our audio director's the same. We've got people that have been in the coverage for 20-plus years, and they're the ones that make it. And like like I was saying to you guys before, yes, I'm a TV guy, but I'm a car guy first, right? I, I, I love my motorsport, and I've been across all different types. So I think the benefit that Supercars has is it's television made by motorsport people. It's a... It's a coverage, as you said, that's got a long history. What are you, now that you've got control, what have you seen in the past that's been done that you might like to uh, try and bring back to the coverage? Um, to be honest with you, I'm more looking forward about what we can do that's new as opposed to what can I drag past, back that's been done. But there's certainly a little bit more focus from from my side as to recognising the hardcore fans, um, that's not to say that we need to um, modify the coverage to, to, to suit the diehards because, you know, they're there. But I think sometimes we, we we forget a little bit our history. You know, we forget a little bit that supercars isn't just supercars. That started in 1997. You know, there's, there's a rich history going back to, you know, the late 60s with incredible names that built the sport, you know. So I, I would certainly like to think that I would be have an eye on on our past and respect and recognise um, the people that have that have got us where we're going. But the real focus for supercars at the moment, in particular the broadcast, is the fan of the future. It's it's where's the next viewer coming from in a world where um, attention spans are short, people are um, consuming their media in short form, snackable bites. It's how do we grab the viewers? How do we engage them? in a sport that, that works better long form. Mm-hmm. You guys know, as fans of the of supercars, every time we try to do short sprint races and whatever, they just they just don't work. So our sport works better with strategy, and strategy comes into play in duration. So longer races always work good. They bring up more pit stops. They bring up more errors. They bring up more strategy and tyre and change. It's the challenge for us to be able to engage people, find a new fan, and they're out there. I mean, people, you think about the people that turn on for Bathurst, right? They're there. They know it. They like it. We've got to get them more at the other events and weld them on more. One of the things that makes Bathurst a unique track uh, for regular fans is that there's one position, particular thing that's positioned on uh, on Conrad Street, rather on uh, Pitt Street, and that's a position tower. I actually asked Sean Seymour recently about when a supercar is going to do something about having a portable position tower. As somebody who controls the images that are shown at every track, I'm sure you're aware that the crowd needs to know is when pit stops are on and who's on, who's leading and who's not and all those sort of things. It just seems incredible to me that they have seemed so reluctant to do something about having a, a very simple device at the track that fans could instantly look at and say, right, we know who's in leading now after the pit stops. 
look, I can't, I can't speak to what infrastructure each racetrack needs to put in, and I guess you're, you're referencing as a sport, should we have something that we tow around the country that works like that? Um, certainly, it's not, a, it's not a bad idea. I guess we'd like to think that our big screen coverage would potentially, and our commentary team at the tracks would potentially be able to fill that information in. It's certainly something that we've recognised within broadcast. I think you guys will agree the introduction of the totem this year to the graphics package has been an absolutely, you know, a brilliant thing. You can immediately see where your your cars are uh, and your, you know, where your your favourite driver is in an instant without waiting for a crawl to travel across the screen and search yep. down the bottom of the screen for it. So, so you're you're talking about a physical version of that. I think it's a good idea. It's just it's just what the expenses associated with it are, and then it comes back to well, whose responsibility is it? Is it the sports? Is it the track? Is it the venue? Is it worthwhile building for the one time we generally race at most venues? But maybe there's a better way of doing it. Maybe we need to do some more with our big screens or so forth. So yeah, it's good to know. Mm. What does an average weekend look like for you, Nathan? Uh, a race weekend. A race weekend. Um, yeah. I essentially arrive um, either the Wednesday or the Thursday before most race meetings, depending on their size. Um, the Thursday is made up of um, going around and checking the camera position. That, that's normally, that's just habit for me, even though that's the role of the director. I still like to go around and make sure that scaffolds are in the right spot, that they're, they're braced properly. So I'll have a look at that. Then it's, you know, it's meetings and, and general organisational stuff. And then Friday we're we're on air at every race meeting. So, you know, it, it doesn't take long before, um, you know, you're in the OB truck making the content. And the other thing that we're doing this year, as opposed to previous years, is we're making the show Supercars trackside from the venues on the Thursday and the Friday. So, so a lot of my Thursday afternoons is getting that show in conjunction with the great team ready for on air. And um, like we did Darwin, we did uh, Mindel Markets. So we did an offsite Supercars trackside, and I can tell you that at uh, Townsville, we'll be doing another off-site Supercars trackside on the Thursday night from the Strand as a part of the Super Welcome with the Drivers Parade. So anywhere you can take the show to the people and do a live audience thing is a great result. Mm. But but as an extension of that, Saturdays and Sundays are flat out. You know, like there's a lot of content to be made every day. We're essentially on air from the first session to the last session. Um, and in between it, I don't sit in the OB truck for every session. I don't need to be in there for some of the support categories. Um, I'm in there for every supercar session and, and some of the other things, but it's it's meetings, it's, it's organising, um, you know, content, following stories, meeting with key people, doing tours with sponsors and key partners and, and making sure the broadcasters pointing in the right direction. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you've got uh, some exciting stuff coming up for Townsville. Bathurst. It's it's one event, but it is really the year, isn't it? In uh, certainly in broadcasting terms, it's one of the biggest television events in Australia. It's one of the biggest sporting events in Australia. How far out are you planning for what you're going to be putting on the screens? And with that one, I imagine it's from Wednesday night. It is so Wednesday night supercars trackside, but we start thinking about this pretty much from the moment we leave Adelaide. I, I am always trying to think about the best way we could showcase the sport and it gets the best audience it gets the biggest it's the biggest track it's big 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 you know we we, we um, 
talk a lot about pressure and, and bits and pieces and every race meeting is special and there are no bad races we go to. Supercars look good everywhere. But there is just something special about Bathurst. So we plan a long way out. We had a um, quite a detailed uh, creative chat with all our key commentators and key producers um, after Winton, before before Darwin, where we sat down in a room, we looked at things like what's the theme of the opener going to be this year, how do we want the World Feed run, run up to work, um, what are the new innovations. So we, we do start a long way out and um, and we do put a lot of effort into making sure that you know all the boxes are ticked for that event. I know your team, if not you, after Clipsal, uh, after the Adelaide 500, were at Tail and Bend, just looking for camera positions and and trying to work out how you're going to take another very... Well, it's only the four-kilometre circuit, but it's still a very big track in supercar terms. Oh, Tunnelman was a real challenge to do a camera plan for. It's 4.9 k's, um, the circuit we're going to use. But the, the thing that makes Tunnelman really challenging is that it has no internal walls. So if you think about having to place a camera somewhere to shoot anything, it needs to be safe. It needs to be behind a wall or a barrier... Talon Bend is a massive open paddock with a track in it. So where you would traditionally try to put a camera on the outside of a turn, you can't do it because there's no safe place to position it. So we had to be pretty creative with, um, you know, where we place shots. There certainly is walls around the facility, but, you know, you, you want to try to get a head-on shot or an inside shot. So it was, I mean, I've been lucky enough to do quite a few new venues. I, I did the very first Townsville, the very first Sydney as a director, um, uh, the very first Abu Dhabi, the, uh, Newcastle last year. Um, you know, I, I, and, and by far, Talent Bend was the most challenging to, to create a camera plan from it. I've been back a second time. We went back last month and did a second overview now that um, we've had a race meeting there and, and a little bit more infrastructures in there and um, come up with a better plan, it, it'll be a great race meeting. It'll be, um, we've got a good result, but it was an extremely hard track to do a camera plan for. Is it exciting or is it just more pressure going to a new event like that? Oh, it's brilliant. It's very exciting. Pressure is something that, you know, you use, you thrive on. So, yes, there's pressure to deliver a good result, but that's the same every single time, you know, you go live with any any event, you know, like there's a lot of money involved, there's a lot of people hanging off it, there's a lot of partners that you have to support. It's not just making TV because you like cars racing, you know, people spend money to be there. So, But when you go to a new event like Taylor Ben, particularly something as, as spectacular as that facility where someone's spent a lot of their money, you want to make sure that, you know, you show the place off as best it could possibly be. Um, so, you know, there's not additional pressure, but there's certainly a bit of extra excitement. Anything, you can only have um, a first once. Yep. And you mentioned about being in Abu Dhabi, and I think, to me, one of the best race coverages that supercars have ever done was that Courtney Bright battle at Abu Dhabi under the lights and uh, Courtney, you know, making that desperate run with no pit stop and, and Bright trying to chase him down. I thought the coverage on that, on a track that was also had its challenges to try and shoot, was one of the best that we've ever seen. Can we get... Yeah, well, that... yeah sorry. Well, that's an interesting one because that was a hybrid. That was a hybrid com- uh, collaboration between Bomb, Formula One, and us. So... That event, if you remember, GP2 was racing. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and so so FOM had their production facility there. So we used their hardware in conjunction with our uh, producer, um, and it was also the very first event that Scott Young as EP came back to the fold as well. But yeah, that was a great event. But that was a bit of a hybrid coverage between Supercars Media and Formula One that event. Oh, interesting, because uh, I was going to say, is that what you've been trying to look for with the trials and the testing you've been doing at Eastern Creek? Well, the, the trick with Sydney Motorsport Park is, first of all, can we find the right lights to do this? So, you know, when James announced last year that we were going to do a night race and we'd done one test with a couple of lights that none of us were convinced about, but he was adamant, and he's a bit of a visionary, James. James, you know, like, so give him credit. He went, no, we can do this. He said we were. But at that stage, you know, there was a, there was a couple of boxes to be ticked yet. So it was initially finding the right lights to be able to do the job, which we've been lucky enough to secure. Um, and then it was, okay, announced, well, we'll go, first of all, we'll go short circuit. So short circuit was announced. Uh, and then Sean, who's an absolute, you know, fan of the sport, said, no, I think the best bet here is to try to, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right. So, so Nathan, let's see if we can find enough lights to do the full circuit. So I then had uh, secured some additional larger lighting and we were out there testing to see whether we could use them and we had enough of them to do the back half of the circuit. And when that box was ticked, it was, well, let's just check out a couple of other parts of the circuit. So... The whole time has just been, can, can we actually get enough hardware to do it? Yes, tick, we can do that. Is there enough light for television? Tick, yes, we can do that. Are the drivers happy with the amount of light available? Yes, so we've used James Courtney, Garth Kander, Shane Van Giesbergen in our test, all of which have said there's more than enough light. So now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Mm. Interesting because the one night race that you get to study in any detail, and I'm talking about myself here, is Le Mans. And, of course, yep. overnight at Le Mans, they're not trying to light anything but the pit lane and a, and a few things around the public areas. They do a lot of in-car work. And, and I don't know if they're using special cameras to try and get more light in at night, but it does seem like that's their solution to a, a 24-hour live problem. Is that something you've been looking, that you might be changing the balance on the way it's it's uh, directed, say? Oh, look, we'll have to have a you know a new approach to how we cover the cars because they're going to look differently different at night. But the trick for us was to make sure that it didn't just... As spectacular as Singapore is, right, let's look at that as an F1 night race, mm -hmm. it's still at track level daylight. Right, there's still a lot of light. We didn't want that. We didn't want this to be so brilliantly lit that you're essentially doing, you know, a race in a day. So we had to get enough light where it was safe, the drivers were comfortable, the cameras could work. But we want to see brakes, we want to see flames, we want to see sparks. So we've lit this, um, at, you know, a little bit more like a stadium type, um, a regional stadium type lighting. So. The cars are going to look fantastic. There will be sparks. There will be glowing brakes. You will probably see leaks of flame. Um, we've done a document which has gone out to the teams on some recommendations for some new things that, you know, we want them to implement. You know, this is a showcase of the sport in a different time slot in, you know, prime time viewing. So 
in, in, in terms of in-cars, we've suggested how they add a little bit of light inside the car. One of the, one of the things we learned from that late race in Melbourne in the dark was that the in-cars don't work very good on the drivers. So we've suggested a little bit of LED lighting to, to add a bit of light on the drivers, but that's a bit of a challenge in itself because drivers don't want any um, distractions or too much light inside the cabin. So we think we've found the benefit. And, and there'll be a couple of other tricks and, and bits and pieces that, that we, as television, have suggested to the sport that they implement for that race meeting to ensure that um, the cars are delivering the best possible spectacle. And what, is this going to be the biggest innovation in in the coverage for many years or is there something in the next short, medium, long term that you think is really going to change the way motorsports on television? Well, look, we're always looking at new things we can do, new technologies, high-speed cameras. I think the introduction of CamCat last year at Bathurst opened a lot of people's eyes as to some cool toys, but all of those things are expensive. So, you know, everything that we're looking at improving in the coverage has to be sustainable. So, you know, I, I think we, we will always employ or deliver a new trick or an innovation or something where possible. Um, I think the trick with motorsport is to make the cars look faster. Uh, you, um, everyone that attends a racetrack and watches the cars in their eyes and then watches on television, they never look as fast as they actually are going. So the challenge for us is to it's more placement of specialty cameras, maybe getting the shots lower, maybe changing the lens sizes. The trick is make them look fast. Nathan, uh, you uh, are still doing probably uh, what you started out doing when you moved to Sydney with your your parents uh, back at Eastern Creek, and you were 15 years old, did you say? I was 15, yes. Yeah. In that uh, you're living and breathing motorsport, do you get enough away from the track and from from work to, to enjoy your life? Uh, particularly this year, yes, um, because taking on this role has meant that I'm pretty much um, my core focus whilst ignition still runs and I still have my, um, you know, my fantastic clients for ignition. My, my core time is spent with supercars. So I actually, strangely enough, have more weekends available. In, you know, 2016, 17, there was a period of time where I went from July to the end of February and had one weekend off because it oh, was supercar- supercars, then it was Red Seninats, then it was horse racing for Channel 7, then it was, you know, um, Australian Open Tennis. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I think I've found a pretty good life balance at the moment. And still, you know, those close to me will disagree because, <laughs> you know, what, travelling on the road with motorsports like. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's not too bad. Well, thank you very much, Nathan, for giving us an insight into the world of being a general manager of supercars. Um, we obviously uh, know how much that uh, you have an influence on the whole of the way in which our sport looks on television, um, both on the paid television and the free-to-air. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. Um, and we'll look forward to try to get to you before Bathurst and see how your postscript on the Eastern Creek event uh, or the Sydney Motorsport Park event, uh, how that went from your point of view. So thanks so much for joining us uh, today on Inside Supercars, Nathan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. After the break, we'll come back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Tour Grand Prix and I just remind myself 
of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Craig, final thoughts for uh, this week on uh, Inside Supercars. Mine is about Albans. Uh, extraordinary uh, run because uh, before Albans have been started supplying back in 2013 when the car of the future arrived with the transaxle, of course it was the Hollinger box or Hollinger box that was the standard for the category and had been for many, many years. So there's two transmission companies no longer involved in the uh, largest category in this country and I find that an extremely sad piece of uh, news. We'll find out uh, before the uh, next show why this is so, but it's an extraordinary thing. Mm, it is, and when you think of how long Hollinger had been involved in the sport, and Alvin, by comparison, not as long, but after the year one, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, after year one where they got rid of that side load issue that was causing them all those problems, where they'd never experienced that uh, type of uh, that type of failure before because uh, they were primarily off-road, weren't they, in their use? They were being used That's... in buggies and, and other types of vehicles that were not getting the, the side uh, side G-forces on it. That's right. And they, they've got distributors across Europe and across Asia and America. Um, at the moment, Steve McDonald, the CEO, who's, uh, of course, known in supercars land because he used to work with Gibson Motorsport and then the Holden Racing Team, um, so he's got a long history in the sport and he's been at Albans for some years and he's in America at the moment uh, dealing with uh, some of his uh, customers over there, uh, doing his usual sort of job and following up. So it's very sad news, I find, that uh, that's what we know so far on the Albans thing. I'm sure, Craig, there'll be a lot more to come on. But your final thought for this week? I've got a final thought and a reflection for you, Tony. My final thought is... It has been fascinating to see the advertising already out for the OTR Tail and Bend event, which has featured Jamie Winkup, David Reynolds, and Scott McLaughlin. I think it would be the first time in a very long time that Craig Lowndes, who is streets ahead on popularity, has not been used for uh, what would be considered as a fairly important uh, branding exercise. So, obviously, there is a there's a critical need to get the rest of the drivers a profile because Craig's closer to the end than the beginning. And, uh, yes, very interesting, I thought, that you had those three drivers as the feature drivers on the promotion of that. So that's my observation. My reflection is that 20 years ago, last Friday, the 22nd of June, Calder Park had a V8 supercar race, as it was known, and the third race was abandoned because of the weather. Now, you, of course, remember better than I what happened there. But the So not only did we not have three races, it was marked by the fact that Jason Bargwana took out his very first supercar win for Gary Rogers. And in fact, his celebration of how good is that, as he commented to camera, possibly led to him getting the drive 
with Ford because he had uh, certainly felt on the outer at Gary Rogers, came to me and asked for my help, and I spoke to Howard Marsden, and Howard Marsden, in his inimitable English style, said, well, no one celebrates a win the way Jason does. It was memorable for that reason with me, Craig. Mm. I was going to say that Craig Lowndes was leading the championship. He took over the lead from Russell Ingall back then. And Jason Bright, who's now in his first year of retirement, finished at third place running for Stone Brothers. And, of course, everyone was getting ready for that next Falcon that was uh, due to be coming into the series at the end of the year. Oh, those times we reflect on. (laughs) So that's it for another episode of Inside Supercars. We hope you enjoyed these interviews today and the news, and we look forward to hearing you coming up with some questions for us in the near future. So thank you from me. And good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.